Welcome to The How of Business with your host, Henry Lopez, the podcast that helps you start, run, and grow your small business. And now, here is your host. Welcome to this episode of The How of Business. This is Henry Lopez, and my guest today is David Fisher. David, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. We are glad to have you. Uh, David is a speaker, a coach, and a best-selling author of the book Networking in the 21st Century, Why Your Network Sucks and What to Do About It. So we're going to dive into that as one of the primary topics in this show today. Uh, He's building on 20 years of experience as an entrepreneur and a sales professional, and he combines strategy and real-world tactics to help entrepreneurs like ourselves to become more effective, efficient, and happy. He helps entrepreneurs understand the new landscape of hyper-connected selling. So hyper-connected selling is one of the key things we're going to dive into with him. And that's where social media, networking, and old-school sales and communication skills are the key to building personal influence and creating human connections. Uh, David is the president of Rockstar Consulting. He started Rockstar Consulting to support people with their personal and professional development. He'll give us a little bit more about that. So again, in today's episode, Dave is going to share with us briefly his entrepreneurial journey, how he got to where he is today, and how we can use hyper-connected selling to grow our businesses. Uh, He lives in Evanston, Illinois, right? Evanston? Yep. Okay. And so with that, David Fisher, once again, welcome to the show. Awesome. Let's rock and roll. I'm fired up. Let's do it. Let's do it. So let's start uh, kind of at the beginning. You uh, attended Northwestern, if I've got it right, and studied history and urban studies. Yes, to uh, to to great subjects that <laughs> didn't really have much to do with going and starting your own business. <laughs> right, but what did you think you were going to do back then? You know, uh, I actually got very fortunate. My, my father is a very wise man. But uh, of course, when you're 18, you don't really listen to your father all that much. But the one thing he said that I listened to was get a good liberal arts education, learn how to think. You can always apply that to anything else. And so I uh, loved history. I loved, um, you know, studying. I, I was here in the Chicago area, loved the history of the city. And so I, I don't think I ever really planned on, on using the degree to go into academics. I actually wrote an honors thesis my senior year and realized that if I had to spend the rest of my life in libraries, I might go a little nuts. So <laughs> <laughs> so back then, what did you think you wanted to do when you grew up? Oh, geez, I don't, I don't know if I'm uh, ever going to grow up, but uh, I guess I do have to get older. Um, you know, or, or do next. I, I'm the same way. I'm always thinking, what am I going to do when I finally grow up, right? But, yeah. yeah. Uh, as they say, growing older is imperative, but maturing is optional. <laughs> um, you know, I, I business had actually always kind of appealed to me. You know, I was the kid who had a, a lemonade stand, you know, when I was a kid. I, I was a, a newspaper delivery guy starting at the age of 12, you know, so I, I, I kind of always had that that drive to go out and, and make stuff and do stuff. And, and that had always been something that really appealed to me. And so one of the what, one of the things that happened, actually, is when I was getting my degree at Northwestern, I started working for a company as a salesperson. There was a company called Cutco, um, and we sell the uh, the best kitchen cutlery uh, in the world, in my opinion, but uh, got to practice being a salesperson and was actually very successful at that. So I kind of kind of was drawn um, to, to that opportunity. 
Yeah, yeah, no, I'm quite familiar with Cutco. I think it's a tremendous learning experience for anybody, even if you don't end up in a sales career, because I think sales, as we will talk about in this episode, is so key to being a successful business owner and entrepreneur, in my opinion, and experience. But it's just that that the the cold hard facts of cold calling and being rejected and dealing with that and refining your pitch, all of that is such a such an opportunity to learn when you're selling a product like that. Absolutely, we always used to joke that uh, knife skills are life skills. Right? <laughs> I love that. Love that. So you were highly successful at it. Did were you good at it from the start? Did you get some good coaching? Did you stumble early and then learn quickly? Tell me about that. You know, it's a great question. I had some really good success initially. I had a great teacher great mentor and just kind of did everything he told me to and was successful because of that. And then, um, a- after that, like that kind of like fast start didn't necessarily stumble, but really kind of, you know, I almost got maybe uh, a little lucky in the beginning and then had to like really figure out how to, to sell, um, and how to influence people and just got very fortunate. You know, you were referencing Cutco is a great company to, to learn, um, how to, how to sell. Um, and there's very few opportunities for young people these days, um, to, to get that kind of experience. And so it, it was definitely a learning experience. I was a sales rep for a couple of years there and, uh, eventually would become a, a manager for them. But just as a sales rep, it was, it was awesome to be able to get that kind of practice. You said the rejection and the, the knocking on doors and asking for the order. I, I probably did over 2000 sales calls, um, during my time there. And so you, you, you pick some stuff up after a while. Yeah. Yeah. If you look back at that now, and obviously you had to become really conscious about your competence because you went on to do management and training. What made you effective as a salesperson back then? You know, I, I think I mentioned, I got a really good initial start and I think that was all enthusiasm and it was just excitement and that's hard to sustain. I think what what actually helped me get good long term was I got really good at listening to people, which is a really hackneyed thing to say. But it's amazing how often somebody will tell you what they want and what's important to them, you know, what their pain points are to use the the sales parlance. If you just shut up for a second, put your ego aside and listen to the other person. And I, I got really fortunate that I, I said I had some mentors early on who just told me that, you know, David, selling is not about talking, right? It's about listening. So shut shut the heck up and let the other person tell you what they need. And it was uh, it was a really powerful learning experience early on. Yeah, it's it's uh, it's such a key lesson in life and certainly in sales. But it applies, like we said, to business and, and, and everything that we do in life. And that's the biggest lesson to be learned, which is to just be quiet and listen. And people will tell you an amazing amount of stuff. I think sometimes we're afraid of the dead air though, right? We're terrified of it. I, I think that uh, for whatever reason, we don't want the the silence, um, but really the silence is, is golden. And, you know, obviously we're talking about a sales situation, but even, you know, projecting this forward into the experience of, of managing people or really anything an entrepreneur has to do when they're influencing others. Um, just be getting okay with that little bit of awkwardness in the silence. It, that's really where the good stuff happens. And, and I learned that really early on. 
It's powerful in sales, obviously. It's uh, critical in negotiations. It's uh, critical in just in, in understanding people who work with you or for you. Uh, I want to ask about that. What I found in my sales career and observed is that a great salesperson doesn't necessarily make a great sales manager. How did you make that transition and what were some of the differences? Uh, the way that I transitioned was by being an awful sales manager for about <laughs> uh, a year or two. Why uh, were you bad at it initially? You know, and in my defense, I was also as young. I mean, I was, I just graduated from college, you know, I was what, 21, 22. Uh, and the challenge that I had was I was very driven. I was very successful as a salesperson. Um, I didn't quite get that uh, not everybody is going to approach business and life the way that I am. And you know, I think you're absolutely right. I tell this people all the time, your best salespeople are almost always your worst sales managers. Um, and for me, it, it took, uh, I said, it took about 18 to 24 months actually of just some humility. And I, I did a bunch of studying and learning, you know, went into the books, was trying to talk to anybody I could who was a successful sales manager. And it really was just learning to extend that, that listening to the next level, right? And learning to just go to where the other person is as opposed to making, you know, the people that were working for me now sell the way that I wanted them to and the way that I thought they should. Um, you know, really just helping them, becoming a coach, helping them on their own journey. Um, and it took, it took a little while to learn. Uh, <laughs> I think it's a good it's, thing to learn. Absolutely. It's so critical to an entrepreneur because often we come to being an entrepreneur and building a business as the star. We were good at whatever, whatever that technical thing is, including selling whatever. And then if we're going to grow, we have to do so by bringing on other people, whether it's partners or employees or whatever, or a combination thereof. And that's, we have that same stumble as entrepreneurs when we grow beyond ourselves. It's one thing to be competent at what we do, but a whole other thing to lead others to achieve those same levels of success. Absolutely. You know, sometimes uh, being a good salesperson requires a bit of ego and a, and a bit of, um, you know, maybe uh, extreme confidence. And it's funny because the best leaders, which it really, if you're an entrepreneur and you're, you're whether that team is one person or five or 10, it's, it's about putting your ego aside, right? It's about having some humility and really, you know, working through other people is really about helping them be successful. And, and the, it said it was a great lesson to learn uh, early on in my career, but it wasn't always an easy lesson to learn. Yeah. Yeah. And I think it's to some extent, maybe it's a continuous lesson because to your point, we, we do have large egos. We do have a lot of confidence in what we do. And so we're continuously learning how to think of it from the other person's perspective, especially as we grow a team. Um, so you had a successful career then in sales, various organizations, including Brinks Security, if I've got it right. Yep. At what point does it start uh, hitting you that you might want to do your own thing? Well, you know, I, as I did work as a manager for Cutco, ran the Chicago office, um, great experience, went to work for Brinks as their sales manager um, here in Chicago. Again, a great experience. But but after that, um, you know, I was kind of, I had been in management for a while. I, I was looking for the next opportunity. I was considering going back into sales because I really, I did like that. But I, I was just like, I, I realize I'm a bad employee. Like, I'm just not good at it. Mm -hmm. um, I'm much better, you know, like kind of captaining my own ship 
And so that 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 was kind of the, the point where I was like, you know what? I like selling, but what I really like selling people on is themselves and their own opportunity. And I think I can do that, uh, you know, running my own show. And so I, I, I actually don't know if I even thought it through as far as I probably should have. I was just like, I'm going to do this. Yeah. You know? And you had confidence that you you knew you had enough knowledge and expertise and had coached people now in this arena. So you knew you could do that, right? Exactly. And I I don't think that, uh, unfortunately, I didn't have a coach like me to make make me think through all of the different uh, (laughs) ramifications. So I just... Sometimes enthusiasm will get you through uh, a lot of early mistakes and accidents. Yeah, no. Plus, to your point, it keeps you from thinking of all the reasons why it might fail if you do it. Exactly. You you can't uh, can't be afraid if you don't know what you're supposed to be afraid of. Yeah. Having said that, though, my experience was I was making really good money in sales. And so letting go of that was a fear. And so how did you overcome that? Did you start your business on the side? Did you quit and started? Tell us a little bit about that transition. Yeah, I I was very fortunate in that uh, they terminated my position. <laughs> they yep. they I did, so I didn't have a choice, and it was you know just one Friday morning. Uh, regional manager come comes in. I'm thinking to myself, why is the regional manager here on a Friday morning? He goes, David, you're doing a great job, but you know, organizational restructuring. Your position has been terminated. You know, we give you a couple of weeks uh, cash, but best of luck. We'll give you a good recommendation, and uh, so yeah, I did. I didn't have to go through that kind of moral dilemma that you did. I was just like, well, I'm out of my own again. What are we gonna do? Yeah, yeah, that's happened to me twice as well. It took me took me two times to finally get it that no matter how successful you are, you're still disposable and you're still um, replaceable. Absolutely. And it really, I think, was a great lesson for me because, you know, security is often something I think people want and crave on a deep emotional level. And it just, I mean, brings security, one of the oldest companies around, very well established, great company. But, you know, you never know when that, that, you know, organizational restructuring is going to happen. And it made me kind of realize that true security was going to come from me, not from somebody else. Yeah. All right. So 2006 timeframe we're talking about, you start Rockstar Consulting. And so what was the focus of your offering initially? Uh, initially, it was it was strictly business coaching. It was working with entrepreneurs, with salespeople, um, a lot of kind of solopreneurs, a lot of service providers, mortgage brokers, insurance agents, attorneys, accountants, basically anybody who had to sell and run a business, right? Uh, at the same time. And, and that's I kind of how I hung a shingle. I, you know, just was like, I have a business now. I got business cards and called everybody I knew. <laughs> and yes. said, can so I work with you? That's what we want to know is how did you get started, David? You So did you work your network and that's how you, you drummed up enough business to get started? Yeah, that's exactly what I did. I, I called everybody I knew, uh, was here in Evanston, joined the Chamber of Commerce, uh, went to Chicago, went to every networking event I could find and just started shaking hands. Yeah. And and that's that. Sometimes we we like the the glamorous, uh, you know, Genesis stories. Uh, but I found a lot of times it's just a bunch of hard work and you know bad appetizers at networking events, right? And you just yeah. shake a lot of hands. And of course, that's where you start developing this this philosophy and approach now of the hyper connected selling, right? Yep. How long did it take you before you had enough clients? 
and you were bringing in enough revenues that you thought, okay, now this is a real business. You know what? I thought it was a real business from the very beginning. <laughs> Even yeah, before I had enough revenue. Question. When did you feel like, okay, the, I'm going to survive here. I can pay the bills and then some with this business. Ah, gotcha. Um, you know what? I kind of, uh, kind of thought from the beginning and what, what, what I mean by that is I was very fortunate that, um, I, I know a lot of times people start businesses when they're more established, um, when, you know, they got families, they got mortgages. I mean, I think it, when I started this, I mean, I was in my late twenties and so I didn't need much, you know, I'm like, if I could pay the, pay the, pay the rent and, uh, eat ramen, I was happy. Um, and it let me, it actually let me grow the business. I feel the right way because I did have a little bit of space. I wasn't being high pressure. I wasn't being pushy with anybody. I was saying, Hey, I think I have a way to help you. I'd love to chat with you. If that's now great. If it's in three or six months, great. But I really think I, to, to give you an answer, I'd probably say about 18 months in was really when I was like, okay, you know what? This is really working. This is great. This is great. Um, so it does take, it takes a little bit of time, right? The world yeah. doesn't doesn't uh, work on your schedule, unfortunately. It sounds to me like, David, that you had, at that point in your life, you had done a good job about managing your personal finances such that you weren't living this extended leveraged life that you had to keep supporting. And that gave you some breathing room. Am I getting that right? Absolutely. Absolutely. And that's something today, like whether it's a client or just somebody who's talking to me about being an entrepreneur, I say... You know, there's business expenses that you can or can't control, but your personal expenses, you know, that's something you can control and you can actually create your lifestyle, um, not just overnight, but in a way long term where you don't have to have a, a bunch of expenses that you're trying to support with your business. And that makes things a lot easier. Yeah, like, there's no doubt. No doubt. All right. So let's get into it. Uh, Hyper connected selling. If you would ex please explain that to us, tell us what that means at a high level, and then we'll dig into it. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and it really came about because of what we were talking about before, this idea of building my business through networking and just shaking a lot of hands. And, you know, I started in business, you know, selling. And Cutco, for those who, who don't know, it's a direct sales company. Um, basically it's high quality kitchen cutlery sold right in people's homes. And so it's really old school sales. As I used to tell people, it's like street ball, no blood, no foul, right? You just, it's you and Mr. and Mrs. Jones. You got an hour, you, you know, you're building value, you, you know, trying to close a sale, all that kind of good stuff. And what, what I found over the last really decade was that because of the internet and because of now social media in the last 10 years, you've got this convergence of networking relationships and um, LinkedIn and Twitter and the way to build relationships there. And the the fact that in that environment, the ability to build a relationship, to have communication skills, to close a sale, kind of these human um, aspects of selling are still important. It's, it, you, you can't split it apart anymore. Um, so hyper-connected selling is really about combining your networking skills and your online social media skills and technology skills and your old school communication skills and bringing them all together for really sales success. Um, whether again, you're a salesperson, whether you're an entrepreneur selling your own skills and, uh, and services that that's really what hyper-connected selling is. Mm -hmm. 
And you, you talk about, as it relates to this, how networking today is so different. I, I got to think your part of it is everything has remained the same, but everything is different, right? And that <laughs> selling is still selling, right? Yep. People are still going to buy from people they know and trust, but we've got this technology now that either facilitates or encumbers us. I don't know which, but tell us more about that and, and social media and how it fits in and how has it changed from even from when you started your business in 2006 and we're doing networking then? Yeah, I think that social media and you kind of said this perfectly, like, is it helping us? Is it hurting us? Everybody's got an opinion. Um, I think what social media has really done um, and, and technology in general has given us a way of building relationships that we didn't have in the past. Mm-hmm. I actually think most people hate networking, uh, or at least they, they, it leaves a bad taste in people's mouths because old school networking was actually really challenging to do. Yeah. And the reason why is um, human beings aren't designed to network. Um, you know, we're actually not designed to have these huge, broad webs of people around us. We're, we're really designed, there's something called Dunbar's number which is the average number of relationships a people uh, a person can manage. And it's only 150, which may seem like a lot, but considering you could easily have a thousand LinkedIn connections, that's really not that many. Um, but what social media has done and something that I, that I talk about a lot of my books and I think is a really important part of the hyper-connected selling concept is used correctly, used as a support for our relationship building, Social media allows us to scale our contact with a much broader audience. And that's really where I think um, technology helps selling. Somebody once said, this, this so, you know, social media, social selling, that's BS. Nobody's going to buy something on, from me on Twitter. And I'm like, of course they're not. But I can start a relationship with somebody. Let's say I meet them at a conference. They might be a potential client. And if I know they're on Twitter, I can continue to build that relationship, even though we live in different parts of the country. And then the next time I give them a call, our relationship is further along than it would have been had I not had Twitter. Right. It seems like it facilitates and amplifies a lot of what we can do as opposed to the traditional only face-to-face approach. Yeah, it's exactly right. It's another tool. You know, I don't think it replaces offline networking or offline relationships, but what it does is it, if used correctly, it really, as you said, amplifies it. It really gives us a, a new way of, of keeping and, uh, and cultivating the relationships that we have. Yeah. I want to go back to the point that you made, which is such a good one about the, the maximum number of people that we are nonetheless kind of wired to have in our tribe, right? Yep. And why that's so difficult. But doesn't that tie then to the fact that it also what drives or should drive home is that we shouldn't be trying to meet everybody. We should be trying to meet the right people for what we're trying to offer. Exactly. You know, we we can't have um, these huge networks. And I think that the the mistake that people make is they think that networking to be successful, you have to be super gregarious and have hundreds of friends and know everybody. And, and that's the only way that you can be successful. To your point, the idea of really knowing who you want to meet and who you who you want to have in your your little sphere of influence is critical. Right. You know, if, if you're, you know, um, let's say a, an entrepreneur who runs a business that helps other entrepreneurs, 
Well, then heck, go network with other entrepreneurs, right? Mm -hmm. If you're somebody who runs a business that, you know, is focused on families, well, then go network with families or with other professionals who work with families, right? Um, you got to have some strategy to this um, or else you're just going to be kind of, you know, running around with, like a chicken with your head cut off. Yeah. And that that's frustrating and doesn't help. So how do you use something like LinkedIn or whatever other social network site to begin to make those connections and then maybe an example of how you then leverage that in a face-to-face -face opportunity? Sure. Um, you know, I think some of the, the, the easiest things you can do, so using it, social media, for example, is a way to, to strengthen your relationships um, in between those face-to-face -face encounters. One thing I tell everybody is make sure whatever platforms you are on, that you take the time and energy to have a good profile, Okay. You know, whether that's your LinkedIn profile, whether whether that's your Twitter bio, I, I call that the 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 static uh, passive material that's always there. I mean, the great thing about like a LinkedIn profile, that's a website that you can make available to everybody twenty four seven. So it it just blows my mind when an entrepreneur will spend no time thinking about what they've put there, right? Um, Quick question on that. Should it be first person, third person? Doesn't matter. Uh, always first person. Okay. In the early days uh, of LinkedIn, I was like, either one's fine. But these days, when, when I go to somebody's LinkedIn profile, I'm expecting that they wrote it. And so if they use the third person, that either means that somebody else wrote it for them, and therefore I don't trust it as much, or it means that they talk about themselves in the third person and are totally full of themselves. <laughs> yeah, and that could be the third option. Could be mine is in third person, and I've gotten mixed opinions on this. The other thing is, is just that carries over from the way we used to write our resumes, right? Yeah, I mean the the biggest challenge, and gosh, I, I actually ran my first LinkedIn training class in two thousand and eight. So I've been doing this for a while, and the bit the whole time, the biggest challenge people have had really with something like LinkedIn is that they thought it was a resume because we had no way of thinking about having an online profile about our career that wasn't a resume. Right. And we've had to kind of, you know, recreate or not even recreate, just, you know, create from scratch this idea of how do we engage and interact online. But I, I always tell people, look at your LinkedIn profile, like that person that you would want to meet in uh, an offline situation what you would tell them and the way you would talk about yourself and who you help and how you help them, that's what should come through on your LinkedIn profile. The great thing is, let's say you do meet somebody offline. So looking at how do you use this to support your relationship building. So imagine you you meet somebody at a conference, at a networking event. You're just It's just a referral. You have a quick conversation. Being able to reach out to them and say, hey, I'd love to connect with you, with you on LinkedIn. They do that. They look at your profile. And if it's the same tone, the same material, the same information that just provides credibility and credence to everything you've already told them once, right? And they, if they look at your Twitter bio, for example, and they see the same thing, they're like, okay, wow, this person's really about helping entrepreneurs improve their financial situation, just to use an example. Great. Um, let's, say, let's be really specific. Let's say you're an accountant who hung your own shingle. You want to work with entrepreneurs, um, solopreneurs. That's what you're passionate about. So all of a sudden you have all of this language about, hey, this is how I help entrepreneurs be financially successful and think about how to run their business. Yeah. 
that then you can start posting things on LinkedIn, you know, articles about how to be successful as an entrepreneur, how to run your finances, accounting practices for small businesses, blah, blah, blah. All of a sudden, your brand, you know, we, there's this idea of personal brand gets built up. And people might not see all of that, but they're seeing some of it. And then what happens is when you re-engage with that person you met at the conference, maybe it's a month or two later, you're like, hey, would love to grab a cup of coffee. Again, you're not starting from scratch at that next meeting. You've started to build a, a bit of a relationship. Right. Right. Okay. So it's that, obviously, as you explained, that combination of hopefully you've gotten some FaceTime. Maybe that's how you got introduced. Maybe you met somebody at a conference. You've connected with them online. Let's say LinkedIn, continuing with that example. They validate there's some congruency now. Hopefully they've checked out your profile. They see that you are what you said you were about. You're posting, you're becoming an authority on a particular subject or subjects. You're also supporting them, right? Liking their content, maybe having some dialogue online. Is that right? Absolutely. One of the easiest things about LinkedIn is the ability to go and put yourself back on their radar every once in a while. Um, you know, there's there's something called top of mind advertising. You know, it's the idea of being top of mind when your your category or industry topic comes up. It's it's and if you don't think top of mind advertising is important, you have to think why is McDonald's spending millions of dollars a year advertising a product we already know, or Coca Cola spending millions and millions of dollars a year advertising because hey, you get thirsty, they want you to think Coca Cola. Mm -hmm. So your ability to go to again LinkedIn, Twitter, any of these online platforms, and just kind of pop up on their newsfeed again, super powerful. And so is then the key takeaway on this hyperconnected selling that by the time I go ask for the sale, I've developed a relationship or at least some level of warm connectivity with that person. They know who I am. We've established that connectivity in part online before now I offer them my services or my product. Exactly. And you probably, if you're doing this right, have also done some research on them, right? And made sure that not only are your services appropriate for them, but that you're solving their pain points, that, that you're actually helping them with a challenge they have. And it might be even going in in this example we had saying, hey, I'd love to grab a, a cup of coffee with you, find out more about what you're working on, tell you a little bit more about what I do. You're going into that meeting and maybe there's not even a, a closing opportunity there. Maybe it's not appropriate, but you know mm -hmm. that you'll be able to continue even beyond that to plant more seeds. Um, yeah. We're, we live in a long-term world now. It's not about like this, the transactional, hey, let's just try to close this business and move on. It's it's really about planting seeds, cultivating them, nurturing them, and getting that long-term success. Yeah, that's such a big point, David, because I, and I find that as one of the biggest challenges that people have, including myself, with networking is we don't give it the time that it needs to develop and to produce for us. Yeah, I, I use dating as a, an analogy often. It's like, would you go into a party, if you, if you were single, go into a party, meet somebody that you're in, interested in and say, you want to get married? <laughs> right. I mean, best way to get a, a restraining order, right? Right. But no, you'd, you'd say, hey, you're interesting. You want to spend some social time together and maybe build a relationship from there. Um, and, and, you know, Rockstar has been around now for a little over 11 years. And it's, it's really been validating for me to see it come 
to fru you know relationships come to fruition two three five years i just had somebody hire me who i met nine years ago <laughs> and we've just stayed in touch yeah. you know um and using really not a lot of effort on my part again using social media my e-newsletter stuff like that and they just emailed me kind of out of the blue and were like hey i just realized that i'm working on building my career um and i need a coach i know you do this i've seen all your stuff can we talk? I mean, it was one is the easiest alley-oop sales presentation I ever made. Yeah. Yeah. When, it, when you consult with or coach business owners and entrepreneurs, are there some common themes that uh, you seem to find that they're challenged with? Oh, geez. Yeah. Um, I, I think when you really boil, boil things down, um, to the common challenge, the common challenge every entrepreneur has is themselves. And what I mean by that is too often we think that we're going to be a different person when we go and, you know, quote unquote, start our business. Like we're going to walk into our home office or, you know, our other office and we're going to become a different person than we are in the, the rest of our life. And one of the big things that I often have to work with people on is just Understanding that whatever their strengths and weaknesses are as a human is what their strengths and weaknesses are as an entrepreneur and learning how to manage to that, right? Um, because once once you kind of have that acceptance and understanding, then you can actually find ways to improve your weaknesses and work on your strengths. But you have to have that acceptance first. Yeah. If, I, if I've got it right in doing the research, I haven't read the entire book, but you devote a lot of the book to this whole concept of, not concept, or the topic of personal development. And I'm, I'm assuming it's related to what you're talking about here. Exactly. Um, one of the things that, that I, I w- it goes back to uh, Cutco, right? And, you know, my formative years. But just this idea that if you want to improve as a professional, you have to improve as a person first. Yeah. Right. Um, and it's something that I talk about a lot, of, like in the networking books, you know, people want these tricks and they want these, these hacks and these shortcuts. There, there are no shortcuts, you know, mm-hmm. and, you know, there's no secret that just some people know and others don't. It's the ones that put in the time, put in the effort, develop themselves, develop their skills. They're, they're ones that have success, you know. I, one of the things I have to believe you've found is that m- your mindset is such a big component on whether you're going to be successful in sales and therefore successful in entrepreneurship or any any type of endeavor like that. Because, for example, when, when you go back to the basics of selling something like Cutco and why it's so such a valuable experience, we have to separate the rejection from our from our, from us personally, right? We're not rejecting us. They're rejecting our product or maybe the way that I explained it or positioned the benefits of it, not me personally. Uh, And that's what gives me the ability to go on and knock on the next door, right? Oh, right on the money. I mean, one thing that comes up again and again, this is especially with um, like solopreneur service providers, people that are really good at a skill and they go out and they want to hang in their own shingle. Like uh, I was just working with an architect, for example. One of the big things that we often talk about is creating an entity, like a business that's not them. Even if they don't, I'm not even talking about formally, I'm not talking about a business entity. I'm just talking about a mental conception where they can think of their business separate from themselves. Because especially if they don't have that that background that you just spoke about, the idea of being able to separate the rejection of the business from themselves, 
th- those are the people that I, it, it sometimes just, uh, it hurts to, to watch them feel that rejection. I mean, they might be super skilled at whatever service they provide, but they, they get afraid of putting themselves out there because, you know, they, they go pitch a client and the client says no, and they take it personally. Right. And so, uh, sometimes, you know, we even like, again, cr- created kind of, um, quasi separate entities in their mind. I often say, just picture a box in your mind and put it separate from you. And that box is your business. Give it a name if you want to, but that's, if somebody says they don't want to work with you, it's, they don't want to work with that box over there. And that's not you. Um, yeah. Take, take yourself out of it. Yeah. Very powerful technique there. It's another persona, another, like you said, another entity and let's, let's separate ourselves and, and we may have to work on how we sell what's in that box, how we say what it is, but it's not you. It's, it's just what you're selling and how you're selling it. And that separate thing that's being rejected, not you personally. Right on. Because if, if you think it's you personally being rejected, I mean, that's just devastating, you know, and, and that, that, that will stop more people from, from trying in the first place than anything else. So, yeah. All right. As, as we start to wrap it up on this topic, I'd like to ask you, and as you coach people, as you've mentored others and, and you think of someone who's doing it right, who's, who's got it now and in doing this, this hyper-connected selling successfully. Give me some of the characteristics, some of the traits, some of the actions that they're taking on a daily basis to execute on this. Sure. Uh, a couple things that they're really doing well. One is they're cultivating their relationships. Um, and there's a number of ways of doing this, but whether it's they're, they're calling one person a day and just checking in, they're, go, they're going to a social media platform um, I mean, something that I do, for example, is every day I go and I have to comment on at least three people's uh, posts on LinkedIn, right? Um, you know, they're writing one personal note a day, but there's some time, even if it's 15 minutes, 20 minutes a day, where they're they're focused on cultivating relationships that aren't directly in their pipeline right now, right? Mm. They're planting seeds. They're looking to the long term. Um and, and the other thing that I think they're doing really well is they're looking for opportunities to help others. And again, this is something that comes up a lot. And I think it gets cliched and hackneyed, but they're looking at ways to provide service um, that don't necessarily involve them getting paid for it right away. And that could be as simple as saying, and this is something that I try to do a lot, is, hey, I know person A and person B, you guys should talk. It's not even like, Person A is looking for a job. Person B is hiring. It's you're both in the same industry or, you know, I think you'd get along really well. Or there's there's just something that I think both of you in your careers have some, you know, quote unquote synergies. But even just those introductions can be super valuable. Sometimes it's just reaching out to somebody who had a had a win lately that you heard about and saying congratulations, you know, putting that positive energy. They're super simple things. They don't take a lot of time. But again, they're consistent. Something you said, like they're doing it every day. And if you keep, you know, like a farmer doesn't decide to water their crops every once in a while, right? Yeah. They do it every day. And if they do that every day, they take care of things constantly and consistently. That's when they get the payoff. And you got to have faith that the payoff is going to come. 
And there's a plan there, David, right? So there's that cultivating of the relationships, the way you described it. It's not just some of them. I say, oh, that's obvious. But what you specified is that there are measurable metrics to it. Three a day, two of this type, five of this type. So there's a process and a, um, a methodology and a discipline to doing it day in, day out. And as we talked about earlier, because all of this takes time to pay off, just like the analogy to farming, there's a plan and a consistency and an execution to it. That That's exactly right. And it, it is long-term. A lot of us, I guess the other thing that people who are doing this well get is that it is long-term, that they're not looking for that immediate payoff. They're not just going, I'm only going to do X if I get a client tomorrow. Um, you know, they, they are a farmer who just has faith and has a plan and goes, I'm going to work that plan and if I work that plan, I am going to get the return that I want. Because if they understand that, the return comes. Yeah. Great stuff. I want to take a personal turn here now. Uh, what do you love most about what you do today? Oh, the one thing I love the most. Um, I, love the, I love the fact that being you know, an entrepreneur uh, who helps other entrepreneurs and professionals and business people allows me to be on a journey of growth. And I mean, that's, it sounds corny, but that's what I love that this, this forces you to, to grow as a person. (laughs) It's, it's hard to, it's hard to be stagnant. And, uh, it's, it's such a great opportunity that, you know, not everybody gets, and I'm, I'm really grateful for that. And I love the fact that people allow me to help them with their journeys. It's, it's, it's really a privilege and something that I, that I, I, I appreciate and I really enjoy. Yeah, that's great. I, I know, I'm sure as, as you've expressed, when I coach and mentor, I get often, if not always, as much out of it as that other person does. I'm always learning something, an idea, a different way to look at things. It really is an exchange. But it also goes back to what you talked about at the outset when I asked you about college and your dad's uh, encouragement to have a liberal arts base. And I forget how you put it, but essentially what you've learned to do from early on is to learn how to learn and that that, then that, that is a continuous process, not something that ever stops. Oh my goodness. Yeah. I, I figure one of these days uh, I'll actually start to learn something and know something, but I, I got a long way to go. <laughs> But what that does, what that has done for you, David, is it allows you to keep an open mind and keep your ego in check. And so you know that there's always something to be learned to get better and better at what you do. Yep. Yep. Constant and never ending improvement as uh, the good old Tony Robbins says. All right. We've touched on it, but just give me again uh, the quick elevator pitch on what Rockstar Consulting offers, what you offer your clients today. Yeah. So we offer business coaching uh, that focuses really on entrepreneurs, solopreneurs, um, small business owners, salespeople. Uh, I also do a lot of speaking and training around the concepts of networking, LinkedIn, social media, and hyper-connected selling where you kind of pull all of these things together. And uh, yeah, you can also uh, check out, I do run a podcast as well called Beer Beats and Business, where I talk to people about these topics too. And the book, again, is called Networking in the 21st Century, Why Your Network Sucks and What to Do About It. And then there's a book coming soon. Or by the way, I should say, rather, by the time this goes live, the book will probably be out already. So tell us about that. Yep. And that's uh, that book is called Hyperconnected Selling. So uh, right on the nose with the title there. But uh, that's really looking at, again, these three different 
ideas of networking, social media, and old school communication skills, bringing them together to help people uh, become what I call a sales Sherpa and uh, guiding guiding their their prospects to becoming a customer. Okay, great stuff. And so we'll have a link to that on the show notes page for this episode at thehowofbusiness.com. Besides those book is books, is there a book that comes to mind that you would recommend to our listeners? Oh, geez. Uh, can I give 20? Um, <laughs> <laughs> That's the way I am, right? I read multiple books at the same time. Keep it in mind that for most of us, we're small business owners or we're looking to make that transition. Is there a book that comes to mind that was a big impact to you, especially early on? You know what? Uh, there's actually, we're, we talk about personal development a lot today. So I think two books that are really good if you're just start getting started that aren't actually business books. One is called The Four Agreements uh, and the other is called The Art of Possibility. And uh, they're, they're, they're um, just great books on how we frame um, the world. And, and they actually did were really powerful for me and, and learning as we were talking about how to separate the personal and uh, the professional and not take things personally if people reject us. And uh, I think those are great places for people to start if they want to kind of be on this path. Fantastic. We'll have links to those on the show notes page as well. I will wrap it up. Last parting piece of advice or thought or something I didn't ask you about that we should have talked about. Um, my, my last piece of advice, it's always um, to just you know, appreciate the day, appreciate wherever you're at. Um, I always say we, we're, none of us are getting out of this alive. And so, um, you know what, just even if your business isn't where you want to be, your career is not where you want to be, wherever you are is where you're supposed to be. So just do with, with what you got, what you can. How long have you had that perspective on things, David? Uh, I live next door to a cemetery. Uh, so for, uh, since 2003, I've woken up every day and looked out at a cemetery and, uh, I'll tell you, it's a beautiful cemetery. Don't get me wrong. It's a wonderful park with stones in it, but that's, that's, uh, I'll tell you what, you want to have your mortality remind, you know, put in front of you every day. That's the way to do it. Mm. So that's helped you to live the fullest every day and not take yourself too seriously. I suspect. Exactly. All right, where would you like our listeners to go online to find out more about you and Rockstar Consulting? Uh, the the best place is our online home. It's actually davidjpfisher.com. Uh, that's where our blog is. It's got information about our coaching, all that kind of good stuff. You can also find me on LinkedIn at linkedin.com slash in slash imdfish. That's I-A-M-D-F-I-S-H. And uh, also hit me up on Twitter at dfishrockstar. Would love to chat. Great. And if you didn't catch all that, we will have links to that on the show notes page. David, this has been a great conversation. Very enlightening. Thanks for taking the time to be with us today and sharing your knowledge. Henry, it's been wonderful chatting with you. This is Henry Lopez, and you've been listening to another episode of The How of Business. If you're listening to us on iTunes or Stitcher, we would welcome and thank you for subscribing to our show. And we look forward to having you join us on the next episode of The How of Business. Thank you for listening to The How of Business. For more information about our coaching programs, online courses, show notes pages, links, and other resources, please visit thehowofbusiness.com.